The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. We're joined by Orla Ryan, news correspondent with the Journal.ie and Ont Moss McDermott, Managing Director of the Communications Clinic. And this week, RT's primetime programme did a feature on the decrepit nature of our main street in the capital city, O'Connell Street. Uh, Orla, is decrepit too extreme a word, you think? Uh, well, not really based on what we saw um, the other night on primetime. There was obviously, you know, a lot of violence, drug use, um, litter, antisocial behaviour, lots of different things um, filmed. And it has kind of seemed like, I don't know if it's the council or where does the bus stop, is the council, the government, what? But like O'Connell Street's almost been given up on. Very much seems as a destination that people pass through or tourists go to, but it's not oh, sorry, summer. Tourists don't go there. They're warned <laughs> not to well, go there. And in fact, the buses stop there and yeah, then they leave. Yeah, because the figures show that there are five times more likely as tourists to stay on the south side of the Liffey as to go to the north side of the Liffey. Which I guess is what they've been told to do and we saw during debates in the, in the Dáil during the week, Fine Gael TD, Paul Kyo, he, he very much took the side of the tourists and saying, you know, this is terrible, we need to think of the tourists. What There's about a lot the of, Irish citizens? <laughs> aside from that, and you did say um, O'Connell Street is full of druggies, crimes, antisocial behaviour and takeaways. So, uh, Hang on, first druggies of all, is a very pejorative word exactly, to use about people, Which I was about to say, so it was a very dehumanising word. We've had um, Lynn Ruan and others come out since then and say, you know, that's a very dehumanising term, you know, and also you need to look at why are there so many people with drug drug addictions congregating there, um, as opposed to thinking, God, it's terrible for the tourists that they're going to see people using drugs on our street. Maybe you need to look at the wider societal issues of why there are a lot of drug users in the city. What do you make of the song, Thomas? Everything that really Orla touched upon there, that particularly uh, O'Connell Street has a sense of being a part of the city that has been forgotten about and that there is really an idea of the broken window syndrome that there are visible signs of crime, uh, antisocial behaviour and therefore creating an environment that encourages crime and antisocial behaviour. I think Dublin City Council have a major role to play in this. The last big idea that I can think of that Dublin City Council had for the north side of the city was their uh, whitewater rafting idea which they thankfully shelved but that cost two million in the planning of that and the amount of time that was spent thrashing that out that when you look at what is the thing that we're trying to have for our main thoroughfare of our city in this uh, wonderful country of ours you would hope that it would create something that we're proud of rather than something that we all set out to avoid as Orla said or to pass through When were you last on O'Connell Street? I passed through it Matt on the way to Fibsborough for a Bohemians game uh, a couple of weeks ago but it was passing through it on the Lewis rather than having any notion that I'd be walking up it because when you look at the footage that we saw on primetime it's pretty much similar to what you would see on a daily basis there is drug dealing there is drug use there's drinking there's fighting there's dereliction all around us It's a dereliction I spent a couple of hours walking around there recently for other reasons I won't go into but the one thing that is very striking is the amount of dereliction there are spaces on a Collins Street that have been left undeveloped for 40 years which is one story but it's even of the shops that there are there and a lot of them have just been shut down and there's sort of stickers and posters in the windows and you go to most capital cities main street and they're prosperous and they're inviting and welcoming and yet here's our main street and it's dreadful. It's legalised vandalism and that's where we need to be thinking 
given then the, the, the programme, as disturbing as it was, is probably a, a good motivator to, to, for somebody to actually grab their hands around it and to do something about it. But that Dublin City Council need to see this as a priority, that as you say, that we need to have somewhere that is uh, first and foremost safe and welcoming for our citizens. And then we can start worrying about tourists and whether tourists would like it. But given that many citizens wouldn't dream of crossing over into uh, O'Connell Bridge and into O'Connell Street. It's hugely disappointing and worrying. Do we need a zero tolerance approach as they took famously in New York where they cleaned up the likes of Times Square is somewhere where every tourist to New York goes to now. But pre-Rudy Giuliani time, it was the one place you did not go for fear of your life. Well, something that I think could really help in Dublin City is a supervised injection facility. And Merchants Key Island, um, Ireland actually won the HSC tender back in 2018 to open one of that. But after various rows in the High Court and with on board Planola, it was quashed. And I understand why people might have some valid concerns about, you know, there being an, an injection facility near them. I know there was a school and other businesses complained and so did Falcher Ireland. But at the same time, it's currently spilled out in all the streets and all the laneways in that area. I live in Dublin 8. It, it happens constantly on my way to work. I see it. It's very, very common. So I think the idea of saying, oh, we shouldn't have a, a drug injection, a safe safe place for people to inject drugs because it will, you know, whatever, devalue properties in the area or make the place more unsafe. I think that's kind of, it just doesn't make sense because it's happening openly on our streets. On board Planola is currently revisiting that decision. But I think that is something that we should and could look at because I think saying, oh, well, we shouldn't have a facility where it happens. Currently happens everywhere on every street corner almost in the city. Okay, but what about a zero tolerance approach to drug dealing, for example, or vandalism or antisocial behaviour? I don't know if that would work in practice. And then obviously there's so many different levels in terms of, say, vandalism. You know, what does zero tolerance mean that you're, you know, you're immediately arrested if you're, you know, graffitiing a wall or whatever it might be? I think there's a better use of guard of time and fairness. And I believe, you know, that's not necessarily the right way to go down. I just don't think that's possible to police people like that. I think it comes back to the creation of a vision that you're saying, OK, we're going to have O'Connell Street as somewhere that we can all be proud of, where at currently it has this broken window syndrome, where it is this sense of it has become a, a big... In and that is what it will be continuing to be. There is an element though that you could look at O'Connell Street and saying it is a symbol for lots of the things that are, are wrong in the country. Dereliction we have talked about, uh, properties not being used in ways that they could be, uh, poverty being visible, homelessness being visible, a drug problem being visible, a litter problem being visible. It is all of these, it's almost an accumulation in one space and that again I would bring it back to who is responsible for this. But and sorry, that efforts is have been made in the sense that the pedestrian walkways were widened and modernised. They had the cars have been taken out. The Lewis goes down there. So if I say a zero tolerance approach, maybe if we had a significant guard of presence there, maybe if you had significant numbers of road cleaners and everything to just maintain a tidiness and look about the place. I think that would be part of it. But, you know, and Helen McIntyre come out and say, yes, we're going to have, you know, more Gardaí on the streets. And there's a new Garda Garda liaison centre opening on the street and on an actual station. Uh, What's the difference? (laughs) uh, I I believe it just means maybe Garda guards won't be permanently stationed there or won't be as, you know, as well, um, ha- have as many guards there basically that people can go in if they need assistance or help, but it's not an actual full up and running guard station that would be open 24-7. So there will be more guardy on the beat, so to speak, but it's it's more about the destination as well because, yes, you can say, right, we'll clean up the street, we'll put more guards on it, but if we don't have more, more restaurants, more bars, more, you know, place for 
Dubliners and tourists to come, it's never going to be a destination that people actually want to go through. It's just somewhere they pass through. Actually, the listener here says we were recently in New York and couldn't get over the volumes of homeless and addicts circling Times Square. Similarly, the smell of weed legalised is everywhere. I wouldn't use them as a reference for us. That's a fair point. I actually haven't been in New York since 2018 because of COVID. And in that time, Times Square and various areas around Manhattan were regarded as very safe. But I have heard that over the last couple of years, things have deteriorated dramatically and that you wouldn't feel as safe wandering around New York as you once might have actually in the past. OK, last word on this one to you. I think it comes back to Aoife's point on the, the, the destination. Yes, we can clean it up, but what are we then bringing people there for? Currently, there are, you know, I can think of there's a McDonald's, there's a supermax, there's a Burger King, certainly down the, the bridge end of O'Connell. The street. None of them are particularly um, inviting for people to to want to go to. So that idea of creating a cultural hub, for example, where there's bars, there's restaurants, there's music, there, there, that it gives people somewhere to go to. Not too far away from that is Capel Street, for example, which is a fantastic street that's vibrant, has lots going on and again is, is incentivising people to go to. And there's no reason why O'Connell Street can't achieve that. Okay, uh, Pat and Limerick says Air Square in Galway City outside Colbert Birth Station and Parnell Street in Limerick. All the same issues and nothing ever done about it. It's not just in the big smoke of Dublin that it is a problem. And uh, also listeners saying the country, Peter and Kevin says the country is flooded with drugs, not just O'Connell Street. A massive task force needs t- to tackle the problem. Look, we do know that there's significant drug use in large parts of rural Ireland as well as in the major cities. Another one says on cities, go to Paris, 4am, you've got road sweepers, 5am roads and paths power washed, 6am restaurants and coffee shops reopen to facilitate business and travel people. Why can't we replicate it here? It's unbelievable, says Joan. Okay, we've lots more to talk about, particularly about behaviour in restaurants, which James Corden has been criticised for. But how well do you behave in a restaurant? That and more in the week trending with Orla Ryan and Owen McDermott after we've had the traffic with Neil O'Reilly. Owen Thomas McDermott from the Communications Clinic and Orla Ryan, news correspondent with the Journal.ie, are with us for the week trending. Orla, tell us about this controversy that James Corden, the comedian and TV host, has been caught up in New York over the week. Yeah, so to many people, he will forever be Smithy and Gavin and Stacey. But over the last few years, he's become Mr. Nice Guy of the the late, late uh, chat show world in the US with Carpool Carpool Karaoke. Um, So he kind of has, you know, this persona of, you know, very friendly, very affable. But uh, Keith McNally, who um, owns a restaurant called Balthazar in New York, he put up an Instagram post that very quickly went viral the other day, basically saying um, that Gordon is a hugely gifted comedian, but a tiny cretin of a man, which is quite the burn. Um, um, he basically said there were two incidents at his restaurant where Corden was very rude to staff. On one occasion, apparently, a hair came back and it, it came in his food, which is obviously gross. Nobody likes that. But it happens from time to time in restaurants. Seemingly, Gordon, Corden, uh, Corden rather, uh, flew off the handle and said, we want a free round of drinks and we're not paying for any drinks so far in the night. So I think, you know, they placated him or whatever on the night, but seemingly he was quite rude. He came back on a second occasion and his wife ordered, um, I think it was... Uh, um, he, she didn't want egg white in the omelette and a 
came back and there was a little bit of white. So Corden apparently again was like, what the hell is this? And uh, when it came back for the second time, it had fries instead of a salad. So then seemingly he screamed at the, at the waiter and, or waitress, I'm not sure, which and said, you know, something like, you can't do your job. You're terrible at your job. Should I go back in myself and cook the damn omelette? And then again, had to be placated and didn't pay. And, you know, that he, he left waiting staff crying on more than one occasion, apparently. So basically the restaurateur said, I'm, I'm banning you from my restaurant because you're the worst customer we've ever had in 25 years. But should that be done publicly, Owen? If the restaurant has an issue with James Corden, ban him, ban him quietly. But should they make this an international incident? Well, perhaps uh, Mr Keith McNally, the owner of Balthazar, knew that by publicly banning James Corden, it may have created quite the storm for his restaurant. So, for example, I never knew that Balthazar existed. And I went on and I had a look at their menu and I thought, all right, that looks interesting. And gosh, the steak frites is quite expensive. And it seemed like an interesting place that you would think about going to. So what it has given Balthazar is a huge amount of coverage that uh, they simply wouldn't have had this day last week. So using the the banning of James Corden um, as, a, as a conduit for some publicity... Uh, it is certainly whether that was planned or otherwise is very wise. You would have thought some of these things are best done privately. So James Corden, for example, uh, apparently apologised in the last couple of days, which has meant that he is no longer banned from the restaurant. Why and, would he uh, want to go back there having been shamed publicly? Well, he seemed like to have that. been going there quite a bit. So he was what was described as their most abusive customer ever. So it, it, it it's not a kind of a, a good look for him. But Orla talked about, again, the brand that he has created for himself, this kind of happy-go-lucky, positive person. And I think where this really... Co- creates a problem for celebrities in particular is when the the brand that they have been created when something happens that doesn't fit with that brand. So for example, the happy-go-lucky person, he is now being shown to be obnoxious, rude and nasty and that creates an issue for him. Whereas if you go to someone like a, a Donald Trump, for example, someone who has never tried to be nice, where you all go, well actually we expected him to be rude, obnoxious and, and nasty, but maybe not someone as extreme as, as Trump. If you look, for example, at Roy Keane you'll notice on, uh, or you might have seen at the NFL game that Roy Keane turned somebody away when they asked him for a selfie. Uh, and that was caught but nobody said Roy Keane's a, a horrible human being and, and that destroyed his brand because I think Keno has never gone out of his way to present himself as a likeable person he's just a really good pundit and where it creates a problem for celebrities is where their actual private behaviour doesn't fit with their public facade or, or, or so it, it's, it, I didn't think Roy Keane was going to come up in this conversation I'm going to be <laughs> honest uh, but I, I think it's, it's particularly bad timing for James because he's on a promotion tour at the minute for a new TV show called mammals and he's trying to you know again go back into the world of acting and, and perhaps be taken more seriously in that realm so it's bad timing in that regard um, he was doing an interview with the New York Times the other day that was meant to be about mammals but of course became all about the eggs and whatnot. and they were in a restaurant while doing the interview and seemingly um, a woman seated next to them was sending back her eggs that there was something wrong with the eggs and he said see it look it happens a lot it's always the eggs there's always something with the eggs um, Corden basically just said look I don't want to talk about it I don't think I did anything wrong the food was wrong, I sent back, storm in a teacup, let's move on. Listener here says, so when one orders food in an expensive eatery and it's presented not in the way that it's ordered, it's the customer's fault, which is an interesting point. Another one says, businesses have to call out the bullying behaviour of celebrities and influencers. If they, we don't if we do not do that, then uh, they, the example they set will become more and more acceptable, says Mike. Yes, there are influencers. And actually, here's one that says, you know, there are people who put hair in food in order to get a free meal. 
customers. I've never tried it. Maybe I should. Well, you know, there's the old joke that, but uh, waiter, waiter, there's a fly in, or, or there's a fly in my soup. Shh, be quiet, or else everyone will want one. <laughs> okay, right, it's a bad old joke. I think it's a grouchy remark. So. Anyway, okay, what other stories do we have? Why is Graham Norton giving up Twitter? Order. Yeah, so basically um, another kind of uh, storm in a teacup, but he was probably right uh, to, to get out um, um, a couple of weeks ago or even just about a week ago. He was asked, um, he was at the Cheltenham Literature Festival and he was asked a, a direct question um, about cancel culture. And he kind of said, well, look, I think the wrong cancelling is the wrong word. It's about account- accountability. Um, and he was saying, you know, we've had John Cleese very recently saying he would be cancelled, you know, and he, he, in fact... Yeah, we, said actually, he, we actually played the clip mm. on the... Trending last week, and yeah. everyone was saying good for James for for Graham well, Norton. He was, all, yeah. He, you know, I mean, I think in fairness, he made a very good point. He was saying, like, look, I. I don't want to insert myself in this conversation. I am a man in a shiny pink suit. I have no expertise in this area. Please don't ask me. But he was pushed again about the JK Rowling stuff. And he just basically said, look, if you want to know more about trans people, talk to trans people, talk to the parents of trans children, talk to doctors, talk to experts. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to JK Rowling, whatever. Talk to experts. Um, You know, and it was a very reasoned and nuanced um, remark. He just basically said, I don't want to insert myself in this conversation. Talk to actual trans people. Then we had um, Billy Bragg and some other others retweeted the the video quickly went viral and you know other people were saying this is great you know what a measured response um jk rowling was not happy about this and she kind of she basically equated it the fact that billy bragg and um graham norton were saying this she said essentially that means you support um day um rape and death threats against me so that was quite the leap to make from here's a very reason thing of you want to learn about trans people talk to trans people she she got involved then and said oh so you condone you know the day uh, the rape threats and the death threats that i get which is quite a leap so then there was a pile on on graham he deleted his twitter yeah, I suspect Graham Norton decided life is too short to deal with these tens of thousands of, of people replying to me and giving me abuse from it because I, I, I suspect that having tried to navigate a very kind of question, a difficult question that he knew was going to potentially go viral, which it did, he then ends up getting abuse over relatively neutral comments. Um, and what struck me, though, was his line in relation to, he, he quoted Michael Gove saying, you know, we're all fed up with experts, where actually I think the thing we all need is more experts on all of those subjects. One last topic I want to discuss with both of you. What's this about the possibility that you're no longer be allowed to smoke in public parks or on beaches? Great idea. Fantastic idea. I think the more difficult... It's in the open air. What damage is it doing to anyone other than yourself? I think it's a, the more difficult we can make smoking, uh, the better it is for, for uh, the person, um, their families uh, and society more generally. Um, it's 18 years since we've had the ban in, in the workplace and that has been hugely successful. And the, I think we should be trying to create Ireland into a, a tobacco-free uh, country. Also, though, Matt, more worryingly, you see the... the, the hold on, what about persons' right to their own decisions, even if you feel they're wrong and misguided? I mean, there are people in this building who go up on the balcony on the top floor and they go out and smoke. Now, that's not a public place, it's private place. But would they be told next that, OK, you're not allowed to smoke in the building, you're not allowed to smoke in the grounds outside the building, go out into the street, and then they find, well, you're not allowed to smoke in the street. Or if they take a walk around Stephen's Green, they're told they can't smoke there. Yeah, maybe. 
God, Maybe. Orla. Well, they've brought in... And I'm not a smoker, but God, Orla. <laughs> they've kind of trialled this in uh, in places like Limerick and Offaly. They've banned it in certain, you know, playgrounds in your school. So I think it would depend on the area. I'm also not a smoker. Um, so I do think it's a good idea. But again, I have no idea how you'll police this. Are you going to have Gardy going up to be like, oh, come on, now, quench that? Or, you know, like, how is anyone actually going to police this? I think it's a good idea in theory, but I, I don't see well, how actually, it would work. I suppose work. it is, because if you go to Croke Park, for example, you can't smoke in the stands. Yeah, but well, it's, people it, please themselves. They've gotten used to doing yeah. it. Totally, but you see, the, it's it's not just for the crack that are deciding this. What they're beginning to see is worrying numbers in, in increasing smokers. So, for example, uh, last year uh, saw the rates of uh, teenage boys smoking increase for the first time in twenty five years. Like that's not a good thing. You can't say that uh, it's it's all over in relation to young people smoking. They all think it's a bad thing to do. There are still situations and still scenarios where more people are smoking. So the more kind of inhospitable we can make it, I would have thought the better the better for the person because as we know smoking uh, leads to and is the biggest kind of cause of preventable deaths in Ireland uh, there's about 5,000 people at least die per year of smoking related diseases uh, it has a huge strain on our health system it is a huge strain therefore on our um, uh, exchequer and I think it is something that were it to have been you know, brought up now it would have been banned straight away and Melissa says they need to ban vaping in those places too Last word to you, Orla. I would say I have noticed more people vaping on the Lewis or vaping in other public places. They kind of seem to think it's like ah, not really smoking. So I have noticed more people on public transport and in pubs vaping, which is seems to be kind of a, a post-pandemic thing. Now we're all back out and again, I'm seeing more, more and more people vaping. It's like they don't see it as as an, as equivalent and it's at not all. Allowed, it, it? It's technically not allowed, but it's um, yeah. Uh, some people are like, oh, it's not that bad. It's just you know a, a cherry smell or whatever, as opposed to that real smoky smell of a cigarette. But it's happening more and more and I think that's how a lot of young people are getting into it they're starting vaping rather than smoking Orla Ryan from The Journal and Ontomas McDermott from the Communications Clinic thank you both The Last Word with Matt Cooper Today FM It all happens here